Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. All right, crew, check it. Dog events are happening. For exhibitors who are able and willing to attend these events, it feels as if our tribe has been reunited once again. Meanwhile, for folks who are continuing to feel safest staying at home and away from crowds, and for folks who are driving long haul between far-flung events, I gotcha. I've been working hard to bring you all podcast episodes that help you feel connected to our larger community and offer opportunities for education and entertainment, no matter how you have managed through this truly overwhelming year. One of my favorite events this year is the monthly virtual Pure Dog Talk After Dark for patrons of our podcast. Anybody can join this fabulous community of dog enthusiasts by visiting the website and clicking on the Become a Patron link on the homepage. And while you're there zooming around on the site, you might think about checking out our shopping tab too. We've linked dog show vendors from all around the country so you can help support them during this really grueling loss of income suffered due to a lack of events. There's even a swag link that lets you order your Pure Dog Talk t-shirt, sweatshirt, fan case, mask, (laughs) ringside towel, and so much more. Like the NPR of dogdom, Pure Dog Talk is here for you every day to make sense out of everyday things to add nuance to your understanding and tools to your tech box, to bring history to life and propel the living history of purebred dogs into the future. So check out the links at www.puredogtalk.com. Your support adds up to a huge voice for purebred dogs. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I am your host, Laura Reeves, and we're here in November, and somehow or the other, November has turned into Stud Dog Month. It was supposed to be Thanksgiving, but it's Stud Dog, so there you go. <laughs> we have one of my favorite people back joining us again, Darcy Downs-Volbrecht is an attorney. She's a dog breeder, and we're going to talk about Stud Dog Contracts. From useful to outlandish, and oh my gosh, some of Darcy's stories, I'm so excited. So hey, Darcy, how you doing? Good, Laura, how are you? I'm just awesome. (laughs) It's just a beautiful day here in Oregon. So we have ourselves a boy dog, and our boy dog is in demand. And so what is our goal when we create a stud dog contract and Shall we start with the idea that we don't do anything without something in writing, right? Right. 
any type of agreement for breeding with your dog should certainly be in writing. That would be the very first fundamental premise. And I have seen stud dogs handwritten on a piece of notepaper. On a cocktail napkin. Yeah, I haven't seen that actually on stud dogs. I have seen it on horses, but not dogs. But yeah, I mean, as long as you have something in writing, you want to make sure that you get some key fundamental facts and then some understandings down. Right. And that applies even if you're having, or maybe even more importantly, if you're making this agreement with a friend. If you're doing it with a friend, you probably want to make sure that you have a contract even more so because, you know, the old adage of good fences make good neighbors is especially true when it comes to something as dear to our heart as dogs. Right. So you really do want to have a clear, at least written roadmap of what you're agreeing to. Excellent. So what's our goal with this? What are some of the really common things that one would or should include in a stud dog contract? To start out on the basic level, you have to remember you're selling a good. This isn't an emotional adoption of a child or anything like that, even though it might sometimes feel like that to us because we do love our dogs so much. But what you're doing is you're entering into a relationship with someone. And just like everything else, this is a contract that could be governed obviously by the courts, and it is a sale of goods. So you want to have some things in there, the name of the stud dog, and by that I mean his registered name, his registration number. You can put in his call name, it doesn't matter, that's up to you, but you'll want to have the identification of the dog. So you would say champion happy pants, four-year-old Shih Tzu, and then give his registration number And if he has it, and hopefully he does, a chick number you could give. A DNA number? The DNA number would be very helpful. It's not always required by Mm -hmm. each individual registration entity. But Mm -hmm. for the AKC, it's always advisable. And certainly if you're having more than, you know, three to four litters, you need to have it. Right. So it's always advisable, yes. Okay. You want that in there for sure. And you also want the bitch's information equally on the contract. Both of those dogs, you want them described. And if you have their microchip numbers, I would put those in there as well. Okay. So we've described the dog. We've identified the dog. Now we need to describe the actual service. Correct. And the goods that will result, if you will, for lack of a better term, from that service. Correct. So the next step would be, what did you and your friend agree on? what is the fee going to be? And there are a lot of variations of that fee. It can range from a flat sum, a flat amount, to a deposit and then a price per pup afterward. It can be a puppy back. It can be two puppies back. It can be whatever you have agreed upon as the price for that exchange of semen. But you're going to want to very clearly lay that out and how that would work in your contract. If there is to be a pick puppy, who picks it? (laughs) This is why you need to lay it out. So you have a lot of variations in this. Some people will want a puppy back and they'll say, you know, I want to come pick it. Who ranks the litter? Who gets to decide the pick order of the puppies? Mm -hmm. Does the stud dog owner get the first pick? 
does the stud dog owner get the second pick? It just depends on what you and your friend agree to. But this is a discussion and a communication you will want to have. If you're going to be taking a puppy back, you want to put these things in there. Absolutely. And then I know in my personal stud dog contract, I guarantee X number of live puppies or a repeat service. How do you advise your clients on this? So that's a really common way to address a failed breeding. Mm -hmm. We look at a couple of different things. Either you wind up having a bitch who doesn't take, or you have a bitch that takes but doesn't whelp out a litter, or you have one that whelps out a litter and the puppy only lives two to three days and dies. All of those things aren't successful breedings. And you'll want to talk in advance a little bit about how it would work, but you need to make sure that the bitch owner is communicating with you. Some people will say 70 days is a fairly common time period, but you might want to be a little more in communication than that. But you might want to say, if you can give me a report back on how your bitch is doing, if she isn't pregnant, if she hasn't taken, let's work together to get this where we need it to be. You can do what you mentioned, which is do a breed back. Mm-hmm. And some people require that to be done on the next heat cycle. Mm-hmm. Some people will let it go to heat cycles, especially if the bitch owner is trying to work on reproductive health and get the bitch in a better condition. You can kind of vary that as much as you would like. But one thing to pay attention to is what is a live birth? What is a live puppy? And how many constitute a litter? Mm-hmm. So in some of your breeds where you often have very small litters, one to three puppies is a great litter to some breeds. Other breeds, if you have less than eight, you've had a minimum litter. Right. It's going to be fairly breed specific, but usually, usually you look at, and this goes back to some of the old common law British ways that they would mm-hmm. trade, is usually it's the litter bears fruit of two puppies that go on to live beyond three weeks. Right. And the reasoning for that in history was that the owner of the bitch would be able to keep one back for themselves because that's sometimes or used to be anyway, the ideal goal mm-hmm. and would be able to sell the other puppy and cover the cost of stud fees and breeding their bitch. Right. But that being said, you can have it be one puppy that survives. You can have it be three or four. You can have it be whatever you and your friend agree to. Just make sure again that you have that written down. Okay. And another thing that I've always found helpful in my stud dog contracts is to specify, like I list out, you can have X, Y, and Z options. This is the one we're selecting in terms of how we're actually going to get the bitch bred, live cover, fresh chilled, frozen, and who pays the freight and who takes care of the transportation and all of that sort of thing should be covered. Yes? Yeah. All of those things should be covered. And one of the things that's important I think, especially in a stud dog contract, and I see this often overlooked is, let's say you get a bitch in for breeding. And, you know, again, some people will charge a day board per day. People will have ideas of I'm going to breed the bitch every single day. I'm going to breed it every other day. Again, these are things you agree upon based on the dogs and their health and what you as breeders decide. But Let's say you get a bitch in and for whatever reason, let's say anatomically, let's say 
libido, let's say the temperament of the bitch, whatever is going on there, let's say they're not going to be able to have a natural tie, then you need to have that alternative plan in place as a bitch owner. Do you want to have an artificial? If you want an artificial, a lot of breeders are very capable and can do it side by side. Do you want to have it done at a veterinarian? All of those things should sort of be talked about. And then the cost of those things, if they're taking it to a vet, usually the bitch owner will call and put a credit card on file. I usually don't advise stud owners to advance fees to bitch owners, even if they are friends, because depending on the structure of your contract can get you investing a little more than you might want to. Mm -hmm. So again, I would ask what is customary, regular and customary. So in my dealings, both as a breeder, as the owner of the bitch and as a stud dog owner, the breeder fronts all these costs. I cannot think of a time that I, as the stud dog owner or someone else as the stud dog owner, fronted those costs of getting an AI done or the next question to follow that up, progesterone timing. Where do you fall down on that? It's always a mutual understanding of the parties. But the reason that the way you spelled it out is the customary way is because it generally works best. It's generally more enforceable. So if you have the bitch owner responsible for all of the fees, then it's clear right from the get-go that if there are vet fees, if there are shipping fees, if there are feed or unusual fees, grooming fees while the dog's at your place, those are things that are borne by the bitch owner. And I would recommend keeping that as clean as possible Mm -hmm. because I do think that over time that has become customary. And when things are customary, And they're essentially the standard in the industry as to how it's done. It's a lot easier for someone later on to go in and try to enforce that in court. If you start getting kind of off the beaten path and getting a little wild, it's not going to be as easy. I'm not saying it's not enforceable. I'm not saying it's not perfectly acceptable for you to do that. I'm just saying if, if things go wrong, it may be a little harder for the stud dog owner to get the money back. Okay. And then... Another one that I have always included in my contracts, and so now we're going to start edging into the where's the line we draw between what's normal and sort of acceptable and what's like (laughs) cray-cray. Right, right. So I have always asked that all of the bitch owners provide me with a list of the names and contact information for the owners of every puppy. because my personal opinion, I am partially responsible for those dogs. I want to make sure that they don't end up somewhere that they shouldn't be. Correct. And I believe that over the last probably 15 to 20 years, mm-hmm. I've seen that more and more in contracts. I always advise it because the one thing you don't want to do is be two years down the road and all of a sudden you see a dog that looks very beautiful and looks like a dog you would own on a rescue page or on a lost and found page and realize, oh my God, that's the dog that we bred, that we own the fire of. Right. So if you have some kind of record of name, address, contact information, I think that's very reasonable. And I think that's a responsible thing to do. Most breeders, bitch owners and stud dog owners alike appreciate that because of that commitment to the offspring 
it gives more support to those puppies mm -hmm. to have, for lack of a better word, a mom and dad. Right, <laughs> so, right. It's not a single yeah. mom household. <laughs> right, exactly. So those are things that are very reasonable to be asking for, much like another fairly reasonable term. It's a little less common, but it's been pretty well received and pretty well enforced would be any congenital or any other predispositions or illnesses that the bitch owner becomes aware of in the offspring down the road. Just be notified of it. To Not be that notified. You have to get involved in it. Right. Right. Because those are things that could be relevant to your breeding program with your stud dog. And right. it's not too much to ask for that information. Good. I think I'm adding that. Actually, I like that. <laughs> I'm pretty basic when it comes to my stud dog contracts. What else do you think needs to be in there? I like the one about notification of any heritable disease. What else do you like in there? Well, so at the front end, back when we're talking about first getting the bitch in for breeding, one thing, and I think I failed to mention this, I encourage, and this is more from being a dog breeder myself, mm -hmm. but it's a combination. I encourage people to ask that a bitch that comes in have a clear brucellosis test. Yes. Oh, good. And provide proof of that. Also, preferably if you can, a vaginal culture, especially if it's on a bitch that's had multiple litters or has repro issues. Progesterone, the cost should be borne by the bitch owner. Mm -hmm. But proof of that, proof of whatever standard vaccinations, and on that, I'm not saying you necessarily need the vet's letter, but on the brucellosis, that's one thing I would strongly recommend that every stud dog owner demand. And you should also have it. I forgot it. I don't have my contract in front of me and I spaced it. So thank okay. you for remembering. No, it's okay. I almost forgot it too. So that's required. And the reciprocally that your stud dog has a clear brucellosis test of late, right? It doesn't have to be that day, but it needs to be within the last month or two. Correct. And I think that's something beyond reasonable. And I think it's almost unreasonable to not expect that. Yeah, absolutely. Particularly where we're seeing brucellosis start to spike again in this country. So I just really think it's very important. Correct. And I think those are fundamentally important things. And you asked what else would be important. With the stud dog contracts, I usually advise owners. I mean, and again, I will tell you, I've seen contracts from one page, like I said, handwritten mm -hmm. to contracts that are over 40 pages long with yep. multiple attachments. I mean, you want to keep it as simple as possible. But that being said, I think it's important to address the puppies themselves. And while there's a fine line between being a helicopter stud dog owner <laughs> and being responsible, I think it's reasonable to ask and put into the contract that none of the puppies be sold commercially yes. into a pet store or into a random breeding program or yeah. be placed in a rescue type situation without you being at least notified first for those. But I mean, I think these are things that it's reasonable for you if you're breeding dogs to not want your dogs to fall into those types of situations. Right. In my contract, it goes to the give me a list of the buyers thing because my contract says, and no puppy from this will be placed in a pet store, basically. Right, right. And I think that those are very reasonable. And how you get there 
Mm-hmm. You know, whether you spell it flat out or whether you incorporate it into, I need a list of all the owners. Right. That's fine. As long as you kind of have something like that, because if you don't put something like that in, if this is a term that upsets you and without inserting my own morals or opinions on that, right. if that's a term that would upset you a year down the road to know that offspring of your dog wound up in a pet store or in a situation that you don't like because it's more commercial, mm-hmm. if that's going to upset you and if it's not in your contract, then too bad, so sad. Right. If you've at least put it into your contract, you can inquire about it. You can get more information about it. You can have usually some form of input or recourse even. Mm-hmm. Okay. Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. Embark is a proud sponsor of Pure Dog Talk. DNA testing is rapidly growing amongst breeders. And given the importance of these test results to the health of not only each dog, but also that of future generations of dogs. At Embark, they believe it's critical to provide transparency in their testing methods that result in more than 99.99% accuracy for health tests. Embark's innovative testing platform enables the hundreds of genetic health and traits test results provided in Embark's products, while also creating research-ready data for use by canine health organizations and scientists. Embark's methods exceed industry quality control standards by also checking the breed, sex, and relatives of every sample to ensure DNA samples are correctly labeled and unique identity is recorded. In addition to quality control, this helps fraud prevention by ensuring the same dog can't be tested multiple times without Embark knowing. At Embark, they're proud of their world-class canine DNA testing service, and they're committed to continually raising the bar. They're on a mission to provide breeders and all dog owners with the high level of accuracy they need to optimize their breeding programs, manage the lifetime care of their dogs, and improve the health of future generations of dogs. Haven't used Embark yet? Get your first Embark for Breeders dog DNA test for $99 right now. You use the code TRYEMBARK99 at EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders. That's TRYEMBARK99 at EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders. So I want to do two things. I want to do onto the outlandish, some of the crazy stories, but also talk a little bit about enforcement. And maybe we can put that in here, the enforcement piece. Because I think that my experience is that your contract is as good as the person that signs it. Your thoughts? I agree with that 100%. The key to a good stud dog contract is your communication with the bitch owner and your relationship with them. Right. And it's going to be 90% your communication skills all the way through the process. Here's the down and dirty of it. Everything in law, ultimately, the reason law and economics are so intertwined is because it costs money. Right. So if you have a contract for semen and depending on the breed, depending on the quality of the dog and the bitch, you're looking at anywhere from a $500 agreement Mm -hmm. to a $30,000 agreement. It's very difficult, even with a $30,000 value, 
on the contract mm-hmm. for you to enforce it. Now, some people can go into small claims court or into the lower civil court. And if you're good at representing yourself and you have some help, it's possible. It's possible. It's still going to cost you money and you're going mm-hmm. to be very stressed out about it. <laughs> but if you need to hire an attorney, which unfortunately in a lot of dog contracts, especially in co-ownerships and some of these breeding contracts, lawyers wind up being a necessary evil, I guess. Mm-hmm. Between the lawyer fees and the court fees, you're winding up spending, let's say it's a $2,500 stud fee to enforce it and to go in and try to make the bitch owner either do what you asked, which mm-hmm. is going to be almost impossible. What you're more likely going to be getting is some sort of monetary damage back, which mm-hmm. isn't as satisfying as, let's say, making sure the puppy's in the right home. If you're going to go after that, you're going to be spending on a $2,500 case, you're probably going to be spending about 4500 to 5000 to enforce it. So remember, writing the best contract in the world, having every stipulation, all these things, it's going to be a lot clearer and a lot better if you're writing down what you're actually agreeing to and you keep talking and you keep communicating and keep referring back to that master document, which is the roadmap of this reading Mm -hmm. and working together. Yeah. I think that's really, really valuable advice. And having been down this road on a number of things in a number of different areas, I could not agree more. So with that, what are some of the more overreaching, perhaps we could say, or outlandish things that you've personally witnessed or heard about in stud dog contracts. So this is the Price is Right section of our podcast today. (laughs) Oh, yeah. This is the let's sit down and tell war stories. Right. So most stud dog contracts that we review are pretty straightforward. And sometimes you'll get a little bit of a squirrely provision or term in there. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you work through it. So some of the weirdest ones I've had are, I had a, (laughs) the fee, the actual compensation for the stud dog service was they traded a breeding to the stud dog, a very nice stud dog, grand champion, chick, all of this. You would never suspect anything in this. The people are very well-dressed. Everything comes in, they come into the office and they have a contract that is a little bizarre, but the breeding agreement was that the other person trade and give them a transmission for, wait for it, a 1984 Beretta, Camaro Beretta. Okay. I'm trying so hard not to just bust up. This is fabulous. (laughs) Well, try not laughing when you have to read the contract for the first time in front of the people who are so distraught over this. You can't make it up. So they had gone through, they had bred the bitch. They thought she was pregnant and the bitch owner went through and they, instead of paying a stud fee, they put a transmission in the vehicle and it was running great. Everything's working great. All's well that ends well, except the bitch wound up resorbing the litter, um, was not pregnant. So initially it was okay. The two parties worked together and tried to rebreed on the next heat cycle. The bitch took again and again. Uh, there was a resorption. And at that point, the parties kind of got suspicious of one another. Things weren't going well with the bitch. So the bitch owners are frustrated. They're starting to kind of blame the stud dog. You guys all know where this is mm-hmm. going because mm-hmm. this is 
how it works. The stud dog owners wondering, you know, what are they feeding the bitch? Are they right. keeping right. her away from other things? What's going on here? And so at some point, they had left out in their contracts a lot of things, obviously. <laughs> but uh, what happens if the bitch doesn't take and there are no puppies? What right. happens in that event? Right. So they had in there the two breed backs, and then it's silent on what happens after that. So the stud dog owner, feeling that he's now bred the bitch twice, and the bitch owner, who's now invested the transmission and all of the effort with the bitch, um, they go sideways, and the bitch owner wants the transmission back. <laughs> and yes, so the stud dog owner didn't want to give them any money because they felt that they had kept the bitch mm-hmm. and bred her twice. And so there became a very hard line in the sand, and it went through three different, very small, low-level court hearings. Fortunately, they were able to get through it with just some, you know, advice without mm-hmm. having to have a direct education. But the stud dog owner was never going to give up the transmission. They were so entrenched in that. And they didn't want to give money to the bitch owner. So it went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And finally, the court awarded a monetary sum to the bitch owner and the bitch owner wound up getting a lien on the vehicle and wound up getting the whole vehicle oh. <laughs> instead of just the transmission back. Now, bear in mind, the whole car's value was like under 3000 I was going to say five Even, bucks. I mean, come yeah. on. <laughs> and it was just nuts. And I'm reading it and I'm thinking, oh, my Lord. So note to self, never have the dog contract as well far apart. Well, you know, here's another thing that we can talk about. In terms of when is the stud fee transmission or cash due? (laughs) I'm sorry. When is the consideration due? Correct. So I always advise stud dog owners, you know, hopefully, I mean, if they're not doing puppy back and all that, which makes it more complex, Mm -hmm. but if they're doing a regular stud service, try to do your flat fee and get it up front. That being said, make sure that you aren't using it to pay the rent, make sure that you're setting aside some of it in the event that you do have to refund it. But if you do that and it's clear and it's done, that's one way of doing it. The other way of doing it is waiting until you have the live birth and then simply not signing off on the litter application until Until you get it. Yeah, that's the way I do it. I would rather not deal with it. And so I just say, let's see what happens when the puppies are born. And so then I can exactly that. I think it takes a lot of pressure off of the situation, just personally, as a personal aside. I think so too. To know that for the bitch owner, it's okay. Pay it when the puppies are born. It'll be okay. That's a perfectly acceptable way to do it. And personally, that is how I do it. Mm -hmm. But that being said, I know I have a lot of people who the other way works a little bit clearer for them. It's cleaner. No question about it. It is cleaner if you get that up front. But again, it goes back to the communication, right? It goes back to the relationship that you're building with this person. Right. Exactly. All right. So other outlandish. Other outlandish, because you told me a couple of them that I think our listeners need to hear and understand that this is over the top, kids. (laughs) I'm just saying. Yeah. The transmission one was kind of funny, but (sighs) here are two examples of phenomenally over the top. And Mm. if you're asking for some of these things in your contract, 
you are not getting good advice. Right. You are overstepping the normal capacity of anybody to comply. The worst I've had was I've actually had two people over the course of the years with the same bizarre idea. And that was they have this wonderful stud dog that's done a lot of winning, that's well-known, maybe not a popular sire, but is a good enough sire, well-proven. They wanted to control the genetic material of that stud dog to infinity. Oh my gosh. Yeah. They wanted to obtain a U.S. patent on the dog's semen and the genetic material therein. And their reasoning was if they did that, then they could then enforce all the way down through the rest of the line, they would still have some, and it was a bizarre carve out of ownership rights to every puppy ever sired by their dog. Oh my gosh. And okay. There were so many things wrong with that (laughs) scenario. Where do you even start? (laughs) Right. Wow. You know, not to mention that your dog's genetic makeup comes from somewhere else like breeders before you, who fortunately for you didn't patent But it's also, that isn't really something that would be covered by the patent office. And also, even if it was, even if you go through that whole expensive process and step, it would be ill-advised for a bitch owner to engage in a contract where the stud dog owner had control of the puppies, the grand get, the great, 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 great grand get. I'd go with ill-advised. Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. It's ill-advised. Yes. Oh so my. run. If you see that, run. Run. That is right off the top. I mean, I've heard of some having control down from going forward. I heard a couple that already made my eyes roll back in my head, but this one, this one takes the cake. This is definitely. <laughs> yeah, it was a pretty a extreme I mean, there's that range of the people who want to kind of control down the road, but this was definitely the most extreme. It was a lack of understanding of science and law, but it was also a basic fundamental lack of understanding of breeding dogs and people and relationships and breed preservation. So yeah, it was interesting. That is spectacular. The most important takeaway that I would have and that you said that I have always said is get it in writing and not so much think of it as I'm going to take you to court as this is our conversation. So we know and we have expectations that are met. Yeah. And I have seen so many, so many friendships over the years strained beyond And I include myself in this category, trust me, for having failed to take my own advice, (laughs) strained to the right. Well, that's how we run it. Sure. And it's just no matter how good of friends you think you are, trust me when I tell you, write it down. Trust me. And if you write it down and something does go south, don't immediately think about court. Right. Always put in your contract a mediation provision. And if you know somebody who's a third party that's neutral that you both like, and make sure it's not someone that's kind of a close friend, make sure it's just someone kind of general. They don't even have to be in dog. Well, and I like Good Dog offers a mediation service. I think that's an incredibly good, an incredibly good resource for those of us who tend to not take our own advice and get ourselves in trouble. I think that is invaluable. 
And you should, and they could, everyone should consider putting in a provision. Yeah. And you can actually put it right in one of the provisions, you know, if there are any disputes about this. In other worlds, we have mandatory arbitration clauses, right. mandatory mediation. You could put in there, we will contact Good Dog. We both agree to utilize Good Dog mediation services to try to resolve this matter. Yep. And that's going to be your first step. A, it's not going to cost you as much. B, mediation is a much better way of resolving. It's a much more cost-efficient way. And usually the results are quicker than if you start down the litigation path. Well, and I think you catch things in mediation before you hit that line in the sand that you wind up owning an 84 Camaro that you never wanted. I mean, you know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And being very angry even after you win. Right. Exactly. I just feel like mediation is 90% of the time. And your thoughts on that, but that's my feeling. I believe fundamentally that that can resolve a lot of things quicker for a far less price right. and in a much more amicable way that makes moving forward in the dog world together, because it's a small world, mm-hmm. not so difficult, not so awkward. And it's something that, I mean, in my real life, I advise clients all the time that if we're going to start down the litigation path, that's war. Mm-hmm. That is war. And you need a war chest. And we will go forward with that. And I like nothing more than that. But I also know that sometimes my clients, the stress factor of trying to deal with court and discovery and answering questions and doing depositions and just all of these different things is so stressful and mm-hmm. so costly that if you can go use the good dog mediator, go do that first. And if you both agree to that in the contract, if that's how it'll be resolved, then it's one and done. You go in, you right. work it out, and it's, that's it, and you move on. Right. It's a lot less conflict for the dog world overall and for your life. <laughs> a lot less stress. Absolutely. Having been down that road. So, all right. Well, Darcy, thank you so much for joining me here on a spooky Halloween day. And I am really grateful for your time and your advice and your great stories. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. Yeah, we have plenty more. We're welcome. Right. Oh, yeah. It's an interesting topic. Yeah. Someday we'll do an outtakes episode and we'll all just <laughs> sit around and tell war stories until we cry. So, <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Thank you very much. All right. Well, Darcy, thank you, honey. I sure appreciate it. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our Dog Show superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers Desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk.